station. <laughs> Sit up straight, walk faster, continue to appear very busy at your desk, because this week you're going to learn something. Damn it! I'm Mitch Brinkman, your host, and today you'll be smashed into time capsules from the 20th century given barely real food, Dunkaroos, and forced on a journey with us to the weeks <laughs> our two contestants were born as they reveal and defend their top five headlines from the week they were born. The only thing short about this guy is his patience for Bravo TV dragging their feet on that yet released, but promised, show the Real Housewives of Warren County. Maybe if he can be their husking consultant. Joining us on the second week of July in 1986, it's Nathan Hennenfent. Hello, Nathan. Thank you. Thank you. I am ready to represent that glorious year of 86, a year I know is close to your heart as well. It produced Woo! you. It's when Hell I popped out as well. Yes. Thank you, Eileen, for doing that for me. Next, we got the youngin' of the group, but he grows more facial hair than my dad for shirt Jack Daryl, and he's liable to slather this app in a thick layer of gusto from the last week in March, but third in our hearts, <laughs> it's Brian Ernst. What up, Brian? Thank you. Thank you. So happy to be here. <laughs> not wait to drive into local news from 31 years ago. Mm, 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 local news. Hell yeah. And don't forget, listeners at home, if you want to be in the show a little bit, you want to feel like you're part of the universe, pop on over to bizbear.biz. Throw us your questions and your suggestions for topics for future episodes. Heck, it might even end up on our lips. Who knows? All right, but fellas, <laughs> I can't dive into this bit of history just yet until we take a quick break to do a quick rundown of the rules. Each player in the den has spent time with today's topic, arranging their top five answers in order of importance. Those answers have been submitted to the host who will moderate the game, awarding points to the player with the most poignant answer. Starting with their number five choice, we will move up the ranks until we reach each of their top answers. But if both contestants happen to have the same answer on their list, well, we have an you will hear the official Uber Cinco siren, and both players must reveal their answer and what number they ranked their submission. An Uber stare down is all or nothing, with one player earning three points. After all answers have been read, the host will reveal the final score. Okay, guys, we've got a lot of land to cover today, so let's keep these oxen moving here. Now, as host, <laughs> it is my duty to make a house rule, and today it's going to be all about celebrating your births, boys, and just how special you two boys are. You are. Y'all are very special boys, and we love you. So, for the remainder of the episode, each contestant, that's you two boys, must speak in the third person or risk losing points. The penalty will remain a secret until the very end of the show and to keep everyone striving for the stars, okay? So if you point out your opponent's lack of astounding ego before I can, that's also some bonus points. So rat <laughs> each oh, other man. the fuck out. Let's do it. Okay, and folks, everybody stick around to the end of the show where I, your host, Mitch Brinkman, I'm going to rattle off my Fast Five list. The reasons Nicolas Cage will be a great daddy-o to me. <laughs> so here we go brian with you sitting at 1.2 percent you are currently polling higher than nathan but just behind fuck off in the california replacement governor recall polls on the strength of your senior appeal throughout greater rancho cucamonga too bad your popularity with peeping toms and oh isn't translating into poll numbers dude so please sir start us off with your number five headline from the week you were born 
All right, so Brian was born. Oh, no, 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 no. You better tell us that birthday loud and proud right away, buddy boy. Brian was born March 28th, <laughs> 1990. And when Brian was researching his number five, he came across a, a beautiful little story about how stubborn we used to be about removing asbestos. That's right. I'm talking about <laughs> Brian's discovery of the McHenry County School Board finally okaying to remove the asbestos. It is a one graph story, so I will read it for you. The McHenry Community High School District 156 board said it has reluctantly approved a plan to spend $617,000 to remove asbestos from two high schools. The district will sell life safety bonds to pay for the work, official says. Board members have criticized federal and state mandates, sound familiar, regarding the cleanup, but they approved the work to avoid fines of up to $5,000 a day. The work will begin this summer. So I was doing some quick math before we recorded here. $5,000 a day for 180 day school year is $900,000. It is Ooh, literally so $300,000 cheaper. Just get rid of the asbestos. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And it's like they were reluctant to do it because it was going to cost them money. They didn't decide they were going to do it until it was going to cost them more money. At no point during the story about asbestos is asbestos the issue. <laughs> I, you know, also, if you, if you look at it this way, $617,000 is the cheapest cost at preventing cancer in yeah, hundreds like, or maybe thousands of people. Very, very yes. cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sort of sort doesn't. of like how wearing masks is the easiest way to fight COVID. Hey, but, hey, you know, hey, hey, hold on! <laughs> hey. It's a personal medical religious choice I make with me and my partner. Sorry, no, my my wife, my wife, uh, and my pastor. Thank you very much. How can it be medical and religious? Hey. <laughs> Either way, I think what we need to focus on here is the use of the word reluctant yep. <laughs> this whole time is that they were just reluctant to kind of like take this work on. It, like you, you're the, you, the school board. You have one job. It's to make sure everybody can be safe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like what's going on? Uh, but that's pretty funny to me. I, um, Brian, uh, don't forget you are number one in this world. So please continue to, re to refer to yourself in the third person. Uh, but um, I have fond memories in elementary school of having to sweep up the asbestos before PE class could start. Uh, so there would normally be two of us on the brooms, and we we would we would scoot through that task real fast so we could get to dodgeball. Uh, but man, what a fuzzy ceiling we had! So uh, if you all right, bring, Brinkman and Johnson, you guys get to save all of our lives before class starts. <laughs> yep, get those brooms. Mm -hmm. If you had a podcast in high school, it would have been two men on the broom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the, the special oh, no. guest would always be Mrs. Gary, the PE teacher who hadn't come out of the closet yet, but only wore all matching power Adidas uh, like jumpsuits, you know, as a as PE teacher. <laughs> she was everyone just coughing on Mike. Too. Oh, yeah. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to two men. In a, <laughs> <laughs> just a cough and then a yellow cloud of dust. Just it's very dusty. Very, very dusty. It's so dusty. People hated coming to play at our gym too, uh, in, in the basketball league. So, 
Just Which, like, every enough. bounce of the ball, just like lift a cloud of poisonous <laughs> dust yeah. off the floor. You would have to dust at halftime, or you couldn't get traction. Like that's how quickly the asbestos <laughs> fell. <laughs> so. The infrastructure was literally crumbling around yes, you. Yes, it was. It was very sad. Oh, this is. Did you guys ever do that thing when you played basketball where you licked your hand and then rubbed the bottom of your shoe to get traction? All the time. Yeah. Okay. Now imagine doing that where your hands are just covered. In- <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, then, do, and then you, uh, then you do the the post game handshakes, so everybody just gets yeah. to pass it all around. We did, we did the, we did the halftime uh, sweep, but uh, also my hands are just caked, <laughs> just so yellow. I the the it, it was a bit savory, and yeah, it, it kind of dulled dulled your your senses for a week or so, but uh, not not the worst. Well, it's just a week. Yeah. Only until next week's game. <laughs> yeah, um, Brian, this is this is. Thank you for bringing us back to what it truly meant to be an American uh, in the late '80s, because 1990 was st- still the '80s, basically. Like I feel like you know, that's always the case. Uh, when 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 it you know every decade turns over, it's still the last decade for like a year or two into the decade. Um, did I, sure. did I say decade too many times there? No, no, not yeah. enough. Okay, uh, well. Nathan, you're still technically in the same decade uh, as Brian. You're within a decade of him. Uh, your birth, which is in the decade of the 80s, uh, <laughs> which is the decade I was also born in. So please give us your number five on uh, your list here. <laughs> July 10th, 1986. That's when the great one was born. Ooh. <laughs> Gretzky. The Rock has the Rock has oh. decided to use Dwayne Johnson as his uh, inspiration for talking in the third person. That's <laughs> the only way The Rock is going to remember. Um, <laughs> so, in uh, in the beautiful week of uh, early July 1986, we had the toss of the century, and I'm talking about American hero Scott Zimmerman, who set the world record for the Aerobe throw. The Aerobe. Mm-hmm. You guys remember the Aerobe? Nope. No. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, so you got a frisbee, right? And great, a frisbee. Great toy. Or, Dogs uh, love it. No, novel, novelty flying disc, if you want to use the uh, non-branded <laughs> yes. term. Mm-hmm. So the frisbee is a solid disc. The Aerobe mm-hmm. is just a circle, like an O. There's oh. nothing, nothing in the middle. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess this means you can toss it farther or something. So anyways, people were going crazy for the Aerobee in the in the 80s. And Scott Zimmerman out at uh, Fort Funston in San Francisco set the world record. The world record has been broken there again in 2003 at Fort Funston. Hmm. Uh, Fort, oh. Fort Tons of Fun, is, uh, <laughs> yes. as some call it. And uh, it was 1,257 feet. That is like hitting... Wow. That is like hitting a home run out of three stadiums. Easy. And I, I could not find a video of this world record, but I did my best. And I found somebody in a video from 2001 where they claimed to throw a world record. And <laughs> portable cameras were not very good in 2001 because basically <laughs> this video, which first of all, it was like I, I had my volume turned all the way down. It was still blowing my headphones out. And it was a guy threw it off of a, a hillside and then the k- camera is shaking all over and they're all saying, oh, my God, where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? And you don't see it. And then there's three <laughs> minutes of them walking down the hill talking about what a great throw it was. <laughs> so but that that one wasn't great. But if you want to see some great aerobee tossing, yeah. John Kirkland throwing it out of a Aloha Stadium at some undisclosed time in the 80s. 
is truly wonderful. This Kirkland character, he was wearing those. Uh, what what is the name of those pants with the the colorful stripes, like the zebra stripes? Zubas. 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 He's he's wearing those in a tank oh, yeah. top, and he is just all about this. He has a stack of aerobies about three feet high, and he's <laughs> throwing them from one end zone to the other. And uh, they have like an Aerobie spokesman talking about why it's superior to the Frisbee. And then you see him, <laughs> you see him using several different techniques to try and finally get it out of Aloha Stadium. And he finally gets it. And they play like a cheesy song that sounds like it could be like over the credits of Rocky Five. Oh, <laughs> and he's God. just jumping for joy in a completely empty uh, Aloha Stadium. And I don't know if this actually is one of the greatest things that has happened. But this was one of the most entertaining things that Nathan has seen in many years. <laughs> so that's the toss of the century. Why? <laughs> I, I love this so much. Also, this reminds me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but could this be the 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 germination point for the uh, inspiration of Xena Warrior Princess's weapons? Doesn't doesn't she have flying metal aerobies as her weapons that she threw at people? There are also triangular aerobies, so what? I think you may be onto something. There are multiple shapes, so wow. just keep taking sides away, dear. <laughs> You're back in a boomerang. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part of Nathan's story here is that there's one. There's a guy complaining he's being held down by big frisbee. <laughs> yep. At two, that's probably the same guy who's doing public relations for Aerobie. He's trying to sell the TV rights and he's failing, and that's why there's no videos of these Aerobie competitions. <laughs> well, this, this poor guy is just like trying to live and breathe Aerobies, and he can't. This this may undercut all of their efforts because I feel like a lot of uh, listeners may have a frisbee, and now after listening to this, they're gonna want an Aerobie. But an Aerobee costs, uh, I looked it up, eleven ninety nine is roughly where it's going. Okay. But X-Acto knives are only three ninety nine. So just get that X-Acto knife <laughs> and boom, you got yourself an Aerobee. <laughs> this, this is a great uh, spot in the show for me to plug. Art Smarts, Dart Mart, and Juggling Emporium in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> they are the exclusive Aerobee provider in Milwaukee. Uh, go there, talk to Art Smart himself. He'll set you up with a great pair um, of darts uh, or a Frisbee or a Grateful Dead t-shirt. Uh, and maybe some juggling <laughs> balls as well. Arts Mart's Dart Mart on Brady Street. It's always a good time. All right, uh, that was a great number fives, both of you. Um, I'm being I'm being lenient here um, to start. Um, I'm 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 only I'm only take, take away half of the of the um, uh, bonus points that you're or sorry negative bonus points. You guys, third person, you are. This is we're in your universe, all right? Okay, don't forget that. Um, you both aren't referring to yourselves in third person enough here. I just want to give you that that uh, warning there because we want people. Brian wants people to listen, <laughs> I, not turn it off. Well, no, but it, it's it, it's the rule. It's the rule. So unless you want to get a lot of it's the rule, a, a lot right, of points right. taken away. You're you're just getting three for your number fives though. Um, but you did both get a lot of uh, ticks off in the uh, non ego. Uh, column there. So Brian, we're going back over to your number four. Tell us what that is. So for Brian's number four, he stumbled upon a very interesting section of the Chicago Tribune called the Metropolitan Report, which is where we found the McHenry asbestos story. Okay. These are literally one graph stories about local things that just happened to be made into the uh, larger distribution so people could read them. Sure. So Brian found this story 
Syringe found in store candy bag in Shambhala. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> so, the shelves of a Schomburg store were ordered cleared of bagged candy after an employee found a hypodermic syringe embedded in a bag Tuesday afternoon. An employee at Kmart was pricing candy when she discovered the syringe. The syringe, which contains a clear, odorless liquid, will be sent to the state's crime lab for analysis. <laughs> The village's health department ordered all candy on the shelves to be put in storage until it can be examined. Oof. That's the end of the story. <laughs> they found a needle. They don't know what to do with it. But there is a best part that Brian found on this story here. There's a part two. They followed up in the exact same section of the paper the next day. So what's great about the syringe story hmm. is it actually occurred on Brian's birthday, March 28th. Oh. But the follow up on March 29th. Same headline, syringe found at Candy Corner. <laughs> the only addition to the story is that yesterday we said we're going to send it to the lab. This story, we did send it to the lab. And it was a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> so that, is, that is vital information. So we got confirmation of what candy bag it was. And that's it. And then I actually... Um, told Brian to go look and find to see if there were actually any other days after that. Nice save. And, uh, <laughs> Brian checked every day after that for the next two weeks. And there was no other update in the metropolitan report for the syringe found at candy counter. Wow. This, so uh, we, we never know what happened. And I'm, I'm assuming this store lost a lot of revenue during Halloween time. Cause we know there's that big Halloween candy scare that started in the seventies. Uh, that was based off just one columnist in, in the New York Times asked a bunch of rhetorical questions um, or I, I, not even rhetorical, excuse me, just questions to be like, could there be razor blades in that apple from the old lady down the street? And people just read this and took it as like, no, that's what old ladies are doing now, putting razor blades in apples. <laughs> and they only had one kid die from ingesting Halloween candy uh, in the 70s. And that was because the father purposely poisoned his pixie stick. So... Um, all of this terror and and fear from just one dad, nothing. One dad trying to end did, his his. Did your parents contract. make you check your candy before you ate it? Uh, no, but my dad would pretend like he had to, and he would just steal the good stuff. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> I I really remember us sitting on the floor, being like going through every piece of candy and like checking it. Oh no, no for holes, not at like, all. We did that shit. Yeah, and I uh, I don't know, whatever. That's very very stupid. Yeah, that they. That the parents of Brian made him do that. It's just, it's, I don't understand it, why. Like, if anything, if you're going to poison someone on Halloween, make it like a wealthy adult and take all their money. Like, you just kill a kid and then they don't have anything <laughs> funny, to, like, like, you know, to take. So, what's the point? It was like an instilled with us early. Like, we got to check the candy. And like every year, like the rules got more and more lax in the house. <laughs> like, <laughs> check candy. Yeah, yeah, cool. It would All be right, such cool. a terrible crime to commit in uh, Roseville because everybody knows everybody, and like you would know, oh, those are the the popcorn balls. Well, that's from Lois Kelly because Lois Kelly gives out popcorn balls yeah. every year, and then <laughs> yeah. Mrs. Churchill down two houses down, like she made cookies. Like it was like, yeah. it was like, oh, your kid died because they ate, uh, you know, some uh, some. Scotcheroos. Well, then that has to be Mrs. Hudson up the road because that's the only person who does it. So I think I think the children of Roseville were pretty safe. Yeah. What was the best treat in your neighborhoods? 
I already told you the popcorn balls from my next door neighbor, Lois Kelly. Shout out to Lois Kelly. There was a house on her block and the dad would do terrifying pranks. Uh, The best one, he put himself in a... Uh, a like a costume or a, a apparatus that looked like he was hanging from the tree, so it just looked like it was like a, a you know a mannequin hanging from the tree, but he was actually in the the rig, and then he would come to life and scare you as he was hanging up in the tree. Sounds horrible. It was terrifying. <laughs> it was like incredible. It was one of the best pranks ever, but also horrifying as a child. But they always yeah. gave. The not not king size candy bars, but regular size candy bars, which is you know a big treat still because normally you, you, you get the the minis on Halloween. So that was my best treat in the in the neighborhood by far. But mine were king sizes, Ooh. three doors down at Dorothy's house. The woman who smoked so much that she had tar caked on the metal things of her bird cage, oh. and her walls were completely yellow. Oh. But she splurged every Halloween and got us freshly sealed king size everything. <laughs> You had your choice of Kit Kats, Hershey's. Oh, it was a she had a great spread. Wow. So she made up for her her smoking addiction by giving us great treats. Wow, <laughs> that is. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming she didn't buy them too early then either, because then they'd get the the uh, tar dust all over them. The, these babies had to have been day of, yeah. And it just made Brian's Halloween. Yeah, that that's incredible. Um, Nathan, let's move on over to your number four, please. Give us that uh, now, please. <laughs> Nathan's number four involves the Titanic. Oh. Uh, so in, uh, wow. in, in July of 1986, the first manned expedition uh, with their cameras and drones and whatnot went down and took images of the Titanic, the wreckage of the Titanic, uh, which amazes me on many levels or amazes the rock on many levels. <laughs> this is going to be such a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan, I know you have it in you, okay? It's just about you right now. No one else, all right? (laughs) All right. So. Either pronoun free or just say Nathan every third word. You should be safe. (laughs) What is is incomprehensible about this is that the Titanic was a terrible, horrible, awful disaster. Mm -hmm. And the American people's reaction is, well, we better get down there and take a look as if that's not also going to be incredibly dangerous and unnecessary. And yeah. it makes me it makes one think of how they're going to like rebuild the Titanic exactly as it was. You mean like how fucking it, you mean? Basically, yeah. <laughs> they're going to they're going to just reconstruct it bolt for bolt. It's going to be the new Titanic. It's just going to be exactly the same. And Who's people gonna are going Leo's to pay <laughs> Well, somebody who's going to fork over a shit ton of money because oh. people are going to pay so much to to do this cuz it's like it's got all this romance involved in it and whatnot. But how stupid <laughs> like just invite like you should just like write to like the like serial killers here's my address like yeah <laughs> this is the yeah. dumbest thing you could do don't get on the titanic you've already seen how this movie ends a hundred times yeah. don't do it yeah. which reminds me a lot of these people going down uh i mean they were it was safe but uh it seemed very unnecessary i will say this uh, I watched a lot of the footage as I was uh, doing the research for this yesterday, mm-hmm. and it is very haunting and it's very creepy and spooky and eerie and weird and cool. But the best part of it is, uh, you know, they have the light attached to the the drone there, mm-hmm. and then everything is decaying in various states. But then it, it sweeps up in like sort of the grand hall where like the staircase should be, but it's caved 
caved in or, or whatever. And, and then above above that, there's a chandelier and it looks at that. And the chandelier is looks almost like it's in perfect condition. And with the light hitting it from the drone, it just illuminates. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Wow. Legitimately. It was wow. just spooky and eerie and everything. But the, the 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 part about this that mirrors history to up to today, uh, which is a theme for the next four on Nathan's list, mm-hmm. is that in 1987, the next year, it says a consortium of American investors decided to take place in these completely unnecessary expeditions. Uh, their names were George Tolak, G. Michael Harris, D. Michael Harris, and Ralph White. I don't know who they are, but I bet they would get along pretty well with Jeff Bezos <laughs> and and their ridiculous and uh, what's Musk. what's Virgin Airlines dude's name? Yeah, oh, Musk and uh, Branson yeah. and Branson. I think they must have been the '80s equivalents because they had all this money to burn. They're like, well. Might as well just go down to the depths of the ocean where everybody died and uh, just to show off that we can. Uh, yeah. So some things never change. That's my number four. I, I'm assuming James Cameron watched this happen and just had a giant boner of envy the whole time. So, Well, he, he did go down there multiple times. Uh, he went oh, he down there oh. in research for the Titanic and then to do some filming himself for a uh, feature at Disney World. Oh my god. So Cameron he, himself has been down to the wreck of the Titanic. The rumor is he did the movie Titanic to get funding for his submarine to go see the Titanic. Wow. Boy, that is he was a more lot interested of work. Yeah, he was more interested in getting money to go down there early just to see it than he was in the movie. He agreed to do the movie because his submarine expeditions were being funded. <laughs> like that's Bananas. And, well, and uh, I heard Billy Zane did the movie for a case of scotch uh, and two hot sandwiches. So, um, <laughs> well, still didn't save his career. Got their price. So, um, okay, um, I'm going to give you guys both two points here. R- right now, you're kind of traveling parallel. Uh, you guys did do a better job of really building yourselves up through uh, speaking in the third person that time. Keep it up, boys. You're doing a very good job. I love this. Um, you know what? I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to stake it out. Nathan, give us your number three. Number three is a coup attempt in which president, Who? after an election, refuses to admit that he lost. As Nathan, as Nathan oh. said, some things never change. Oh. <laughs> so this is a, a very complex story, so we will keep it relatively short. But if anybody's Long. interested in <laughs> political scandals, yeah, it's... Uh, it's fascinating. This took place in the Philippines. Um, the The president had uh, Ferdinand Marcos had been in power for many years. His rival had been in exile in uh, America, and uh, then his rival comes back t- despite everybody telling him it's a bad idea. He's assassinated as soon as he gets off the plane, and then huge uprest. So, so Ferdinand Marcos, the president, says, okay, to legitimize my power, we'll just have an election now and I'll win. And then that'll just show that I'm what the people want. <laughs> and so, and then, then the assassinated dude, his wife runs and she wins. So, <laughs> so oops. <laughs> and uh, her name is Cor- Corazon Aquino. And there was like, they had two separate inaugurations because everything was in dispute. 
And then uh, the, the people of the Philippines literally just went and protested in the streets for days and days and days. And then people were telling Ferdinand Marcos, like, man, just give it up. It's over. Like, Get out of there. And so he leaves the country. But then his vice president, uh, a man named Arturo Tolentino, pulls himself up in a hotel with like a few hundred military personnel and a bunch of people who are on his side. And he just says, the president's out of the country. Therefore, I am the acting president. And then he has a former, not current, justice of their Supreme Court swear him in as president. <laughs> and so he just sits there in this hotel saying, yep, I'm the president, everybody. I did it. We won. We like just keeps repeating. We won this election. Frankly, we did win this election. And then uh, <laughs> after a few after a few days, it, it, it petered out and it, the, the military people left him and he kind of disappeared but then i found out he actually got elected to office later like maybe 10 <laughs> years later he served again which the whole thing's utter utterly ridiculous but i mean can you imagine like what kind of country would have somebody lose an election and then try to say that they still won the election based on absolutely nothing it's frankly ridiculous and oh my gosh those poor people of the philippines i'm so sorry they have to deal with su- something as ridiculous as that that is nathan's <laughs> Number three. So you're saying even if, you know, if he thinks, you know, he did win the election, but if other people are saying he didn't, there's still a chance he could get reinstated is what you're saying? Like at a later That's, time? It, it turns out it didn't work out for him. Yeah. But who knows Who knows about what could happen in other instances? I was, I was saying, there, there's still some <laughs> days left here in August for, for you know, a reinstation <laughs> to happen, so... Got to keep the. What's the quote? In, what's the quote in Dumb and Dumber when he asks Mary Swanson if they could be together? She's like one in a million. He's like, so you're saying there's. A <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's where that's where these folks oh are. Oh my at. god. Um. The who's the, the 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 current leader of the Philippines? Is that uh, Duterte. Sure. Is that the I, guy who who, who <laughs> has like the, uh, the the death squads that kills like uh, drug addicts and. And, you know, like uh, uh, unmentionables of society and drug dealers and stuff. According to Google, Rodrigo Duterte is the president of the Philippines and Nathan knows nothing more about him. Okay, yeah. Nathan only looked up what was happening in the 80s. Okay, (laughs) got it, got it. (laughs) Duterte is is like, you know, like Trump, but with just with more go, go, go get-itiveness and the ability to get things done. Um but uh, also terrifying uh, individual. So um, it's interesting that you've mentioned um, you mentioned the Philippines earlier, right? Because your grandfather was there and you mentioned the Philippines again. And the father of your favorite Chicago bull ever also lives in the Philippines. Uh, yes, he Fulinger does. Rodman. So I feel like it always comes back to the bull somehow. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm unlocking this. I'm unlocking this case. I got more questions. There's always more questions. Um, are we sure we've done all the research? Okay. Um, I'm going to, oh, oh, sorry. I was, I was, I was about to score you out, but I want to hear Brian's three, of course. Yeah. Brian needs to yeah, go. Bri- yeah. Brian. Sorry. <laughs> my bad. Uh, Brian needs to preface this, this with this. this the story is horrible. But the setup is funny. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me let me let me read the horrible headline and then go back. It all comes down to naming Brian Discovery. Okay. So night number three is from Sunday, March twenty fifth, nineteen ninety. Brian said, mm-hmm. <laughs> "Satanically inspired youths accused in beating of fellow cultist." Mm. So beating people, not funny. Brian told yeah. me, but in West Palm Beach, Florida. 
a band of Satanism-influenced youths called the Legion of Doom <laughs> mandated the death penalty for members who dated outside their group and tried to carry out the sentence on an 18-year-old member. Blah. For those unfamiliar with DC comic books, yep. the Legion of Doom is the villains where the head is Lex Luthor uh -huh. And some of the folks in the Legion of Doom are people at like the Riddler and Scarecrow. Yep. <laughs> now, if you're going to be a Satanist cult, <laughs> why would you pick this as your name? No one's going to take you seriously. No. You're already being anti-Christ. You got to be like, you got to come up with a cool name yeah. that doesn't make people think of cartoons and comic books. Yeah. But, um, Maybe they were just ahead of their time. I mean, I mean, comic books wouldn't gain their mainstream fandom until about 15 years later, which would have been about 2005. But then I did, in further research, when consulting with Brian, found out that there was another story in 2005 where the Legion of Doom was still beating their own members for dating outside the group. Oh, my God. The group still exists. They're still beating people. Wait, wait, wait. So... So they're they're building a a super evil society of inbred um, morons, basically, right? That's what it sounds like. If they're not dating outside, pretty the group. much. Wow, that it's it's. I mean, one of them. Most of them resided at a house. It's a very loosely formed group of kids. <laughs> it's got satanic overtones, but I would not say they're satanic ritualists. Yeah, <laughs> it's got Satan overtones, but not fully satanists. Okay, they like the colors black and red and they like drawing pentagrams on trees out, out in the woods. Probably that's probably the extent of their Satanism. I'm guessing. What's great is it says, I, I would not say they're satanic ritualists. Then the next graph down, it says satanic inscriptions and the words Legion of doom were painted on the walls on the side of the house. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the end of the story. That is the last sentence. Like we don't think that they were actually Satanists, even though it says on the building, Satan's, Satanists live here. Here's our name. Come come talk to us. Yeah, but <laughs> like, what? you could write on, on the side of your building, like, totally badass motherfuckers live here, but it doesn't probably means you're not a badass motherfucker if you have to write it on the mm -hmm. side of your building. It's very true, but it, they were brutal. They used, like, tire irons and baseball bats and took people out to the woods and just beat them to death. Yeah. Like, they were just, just horrible people. So maybe they're just psychotic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and not necessarily Satanists. But, uh, yeah, this is this is the kind of people that they were dealing with in the 90s. Oof. This, is a, this is a rough little story. A quick aside, you mentioned uh, the weapon tire iron. Um, if you want to try and execute a great Pittsburgh accent, just say tire iron. Like that, uh, and, and and that's that's kind of uh, the first entry point for the Pittsburgh accent there. Um, completely useless information, but could be fun at a cocktail party. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Brian, thanks you for such a great. Yeah, um, I I love that these that it's the Legion of Doom. You know, like yeah, what are some better Saintness group names we could come up with? You know, like Lords of Darkness, right there. That's just one off the top of my head. Um, Way better, right? Uh, um, the, the princes of hell. Resides. Yes, darkness resides. The black hole. Um, <laughs> um, uh, 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 the devil's rejects. Oh no, that's a Rob Zombie movie. Um, <laughs> shoot, what is uh, House of a Thousand devil's. Corpses? No, that's another zombie. Movie. <laughs> There's so many options though. The Black Hills have I. No, damn it! I keep thinking of Rob Zombie. Movies. <laughs> 
Shit. Okay. Um. Sorry. I'm. I'm. I'm getting batwing beaters. Bat <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least then you'd have a cool logo with like a BWB. Um. Either yeah. You do some cool art with that, but it's still kind of Batman esque though. I can't get out of the DC universe. <laughs> it very much this. is. Um. Brian, you're you're getting three points for this one. I always like just silly teens in Florida uh, doing the worst things. <laughs> Yeah, what they were so silly with those with those tire things. irons. Yeah, those so freaking tire irons out there. You know, uh, Nathan, uh, we're gonna give you two points there. Um, it, it, it's a petty reason. It's because you don't you didn't know much about Duterte, uh, and you know, I'm sorry, but the, brush up, yeah, bud. That's the way it is. Okay, uh, Brian, we're going back to you for your number two. Um, we're 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 rejoining the the, the regular um, format here. So keep going there with your number two, please. All right, Brian's going to take you back to Sunday, March 25th, 1990, okay. in the Chicagoland section of your Chicago Tribune, where you also find the Metropolitan Report section. <laughs> but the lead in the Sunday Tribune on March 25th, 1990, Brian found owl stalkers become wiser to the sounds of silence of a country night. <sighs> where's, well, hold on, where's the news in this story? <laughs> I got I got to read you some color. Okay. So let's listen to some of this. Man, though a little hard of hearing, is a notoriously noisy creature. <laughs> he grits his teeth to endure his own jackhammers and car alarms and is deaf by habit to the din of L trains or highway trucks passing his house. Then he rushes to fill a pending moment of silence with idle chatter and late night talk shows. Chuck Honing knows how to shut humans up, though. <laughs> <laughs> on the night of March 18th, Honing had with him undoubtedly the quietest group of 45 people in the Chicago metropolitan area. They were bunched together in the cold darkness in the middle of the woods outside far northwest suburb Cary, listening for owls. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to go any further in this in terms of like this whole story is just like. We're too noisy. These people can't hear owls. That's it. <laughs> That's I, was like, I, I, I read part of this article and that, that group of 45 people sat there the whole night and didn't hear a single owl. So they just patiently sat in the cold dark and heard nothing all night. Now, I need to tell you more about Chuck. Yeah. Sounds like the audience at an improv show at late night at Second City. Oh! <laughs> Burn! Two for one drink still on. Let, Get let, that let, audience <laughs> drunker. <laughs> Let's talk about how into this Chuck yeah. is. On other nights, Honing said he has had success attracting owls with his hoot recordings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, now there is... The humans did see the humor, however. At one point, with everyone standing alone, still with ears perked, someone whispered that the owls were being awfully unsocial. Ron Willeton of McHenry said, no, they don't just, they don't give a hoot. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I think you're ready for Second City Midnight Improv shows right now. That was good. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> Another guy who was out there was like, I heard this great whoosh. I call it the wind of death. I think it's the last thing a rat hears before it dies. <laughs> oh my God. And then describing these group of 45 people, 
Many said they were impressed by how quiet the group was, especially the children, said Debbie Ford. (laughs) Debbie would say that, wouldn't she? Debbie Ford. (laughs) The best part, though. I wasn't disappointed, said Matt McMahon of Cary, who said his New Year's resolution was to join in one of the conservation district's nature walks once a month. I wasn't expecting to see or hear owls anyway. <laughs> what? <laughs> so he- <laughs> <laughs> it was his resolution to join these nature walks, but his bar was so low. And he took the owl hike. He wasn't expecting to see or hear any owls. <laughs> Carl, Carl, you brought us a, an article about humans not expecting and not seeing owls. <laughs> and we got to bring this, guy this still shit. Writes, by the way, he still does. Have you? This guy, this guy still writes. <sighs> the uh, the uh, the reporter on this story. Have you met this guy? I don't know this guy, but he was still with the Tribune on their website till at least 2005, 2007. Wow. And now he works for some nonprofit, but whatever. It was like, yeah, he was, wow. he's like got awards and stuff. He's won a bunch of stuff. I did not know this guy, but this was just an amazing, amazing. Well, I, I, you I have to he... admire how badly he went for it. He just <laughs> yeah, went I'm, for I, it. I do. I, I admire the hell out of him. I hope he, 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 he won an award Brian. for this article, but never heard about it. <laughs> you know what? He just didn't give a hoot. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay. Um this is this is what it is. And uh thank you for for laying that at our feet. We enjoy that. Um and we're going to move on to Nathan's number 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, this I, number I, 2 I is say, uh, I, I I'm loving the balance of local versus international news here. I'm enjoying that very much. So thank you guys for uh inadvertently giving me a real treat today. I appreciate it. Now, let's move. Well, this <laughs> this number 2 is is entirely about the grand majesty of the entire nation Whoa. of America. Oh, USA. Wow. USA. So this takes place oh. This takes place the week before the chosen one was born. This okay. is July 4th through 6th of 1986 mm. liberty week is what it was called oh, and this is it. all about all about what ronald reagan and nancy reagan were getting up to so there's the liberty week and then there's another little aside that we just have to mention but we'll get there at the end mm-hmm. so liberty week was a rededication of the statue of liberty now the statue of liberty always was there and then you could see it before they <laughs> revealed it again <laughs> it was just sitting there but yep. we had to have a big event they cleaned so, it up it, it was its birthday too it was like 200 wasn't yeah. it or something uh one 100 maybe or 100. um any, anyways yeah. it had been around for a while yeah. but <laughs> so <laughs> this is like they had 800,000 people descend onto lower manhattan uh to uh, see, they, first they had a they had a naval parade, the largest naval parade in history. All these they had from aircraft carriers to old like pirate looking ships just going up the Hudson River. Everybody's applauding at that. My favorite part of this is they had a blimp race. They literally had a <laughs> blimp race. So there were there were two blimps racing around Manhattan, and then there was there were other blimps following them, and. Like chase, chase, and, and film, they were they were filming them from other blimps, and I'm thinking logistically to get good angles. The the blimps that were 
following the blimp race had to go faster than the racing participant. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought about it too much. But then they had they had concerts with blimps. they had concerts with uh, just like the most ridiculous list of, of entertainers uh, you can imagine. There was, uh, you know, from Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and Waylon Drantnings and Frankie Avalon and Kenny Rogers and all the white people you can possibly imagine. Uh, Liza Bedelli. And, and, and so Ron and Nancy opened this up and this is three days long. This goes on for three yeah. days <laughs> and it's fireworks and it's concerts and it is just over the top. And they, they do a big reveal where they turn on a light and show the Statue of Liberty as if we've never seen it before. And everybody cries and there's and I want to I just want to quote something because this is like 11 hours of footage. It's all on YouTube and you can go do a deep dive yourself. But here is Shirley MacLaine strolls out shortly after the Statue of Liberty has been illuminated. Word for word, I am going to read what she said. You will be very moved. <laughs> Grab a tissue. Mm -hmm. They heard about it in many languages, right? They read about it in many books. <laughs> they dreamt about it on many a cold and fearful night and many a dark and dismal day. They knew someone who knew someone who had gone there and they knew that one day they would go there too. So they packed what meager possessions they could carry, leaving behind familiar friends and homes, and bid farewell to all that was sure and predictable. And with a prayer on their lips and a vision in their hearts, they came. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Neil Diamond. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is the, the best moment, because as she's reading that, they have a bunch of Broadway extras on the stage looking up at the Statue of Liberty in, in 1880s clothing, you know, like like the huddled masses. Yeah. And then it parts, yeah. the, the Red Sea parts, and Neil Diamond comes strolling out in the Seinfeld <laughs> fluffy shirt, or in the puffy shirt, and it's like, they come to America! And he just comes out with his chest pumping. Holy fuck, it was amazing. It is the most amazing example of American excess and overproduced eighties television spectacle. <laughs> and fantastic. It's, I mean, it's do a deep dive yourself if you want, cause it's, it's all there for you. But, but while all this was going on and Ronald and Nancy were, you know, just waving the flag and should look everybody three days of how great America is just incredible. I have a quote from the New York times that says, and this was literally on one of those days that they were doing this. Reagan is exploring a cutoff of medical benefits or a delay in providing them for people with high medical costs, including disabled children and the elderly. So America. <laughs> pretty, pretty good smokescreen. If you're going to be taking away medical care of disabled children. Hey, look at look at the fucking blimp race, everybody. <laughs> Well, Nancy and I just love looking at the blimp race. And we, we, we get there by taking the Gerald R. Ford which is our favorite scenic troupe. It's just so wonderful to see the blimps. I can, I just imagine, you know, Brent Musburger, the famous college football broadcaster, where he's like, Today, who Nelly, our game here in Ann Arbor is covered by the Goodyear blimp is offering great shots from above. But again, as you mentioned, you need multiple blimps to get all the shots. <laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna need the Goodyear blimp. You're gonna need the Cumho blimp. You're gonna need the Pirelli blimp. I mean, there's gotta be blimps all over the goddamn place getting good overhead shots. The blimps aren't as fast as I remember. Those big white blimps remind me of your sweet knockers when we met on Hollywood Boulevard <laughs> decades ago. 
when I was See, Nathan was very excited about this because because Nathan is the only one who can't do a Ronald Reagan impression out of the three of us. So Nathan was excited to hear you you guys do the Ronald Reagan impressions. Nancy, what do I say next? <laughs> oh, God. He, he he famously basically lost his mind by eighty six, and Nancy was pulling strings through the back of his uh, suit coat by that time. Which also, when he's doing that speech, she's standing so close to him as as if like she might have. Her arm up his ass, operating his mouth. You don't know for sure. Uh, I, I just want to mention one more thing on this. They have opening night. Yeah, they had the opening night. They had a day in between the closing ceremonies. It's Charlton Heston and Cecily Tyson throwing back and forth on separate podiums, going, "What is America?" And then Charlton Heston being like, "It's an old dog, a dirty old gun you haven't shot in a while that used to be owned by a grandfather." Like, the table that you eat breakfast at. And then Cecily Tyson would be like, it's a young man moonwalking on a stage. And you're like, what the fuck? And that cuts back to Charlton Heston again. He's like, and don't forget, America, it's a dirty handkerchief you put over your face before you burn some brush or something like that. And you're like, who is this for? Who is this for? And then it, then it boom, it cuts to credits. And you're like, God damn it. I, I will say, there, had, there's probably had either of you heard about this before we we did this episode. Well, I've heard of the bicentennial. Why would you have like a 210 birthday? This is this is just such a goldmine, and I Nathan had not seen any of this until this week doing research for <laughs> yeah. this. I'm like, I mean, I, I you know, George and Janelle would not have told Nathan about this because they were pretty busy that week. Yeah, you know, preparing for the birth of the great one. Yeah. But this just has been lost to the consciousness of the country. And we should be watching this every single day. Cause it is amazing yes. in every single way. Yeah. I, I, also, there are so many great eighties commercials that I caught in one of the YouTube clips. Um, one, nice. one for um, a, a, a closed store. I think it was a local commercial wherever this person made their, their YouTube video. And the store was called ample duds. And it was a closed store for, for larger women. And it is the saddest, most offensive theme song I've ever heard on a commercial and I'm going to find it and share it with you guys. So uh, it made me cringe and laugh and want to cry all at once. Um, <laughs> and here it yeah. is now. <laughs> uh, you guys, these are these were both um, very, very interesting uh, number twos. Nathan, you, 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 you let us do the Reagan impressions. Thank you for bringing this up. That's three points. Of course. Brian, the owl, I just, I, you know, I, I, I liked your take, but there just wasn't a lot there there. You know, it, I'm, I'm only going to give you one point on this one. I apologize for that. Um, you, wow. you, you, you should have provided some more, um, arguments, some evidence of, of why there was nothing in the article. <laughs> maybe, not pick it. maybe, you know, but it's hilarious. I just have, and it was, I have one news. question for you, Brian. Yes. Who do you think you are? Okay, all right. Uh, back to you, Brian, for your number one. <laughs> all right, my number oh, one up, 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 Brian's number one. I, you know, let me say this. My number one is fantastic, said Brian. <laughs> Brian's uh, not another person. You are Brian. <laughs> no, I'm reading from Brian's <laughs> journal. <laughs> all right, sorry. Keep going. So Brian is going to take you out of Chicago for this number one okay. here. Brian's going to take you west, Ooh. and we're going to land in Otumwa, Iowa. That's right. Suspect in theft of rare books, loved old things by <laughs> Rogers Worthington. 
Okay. Rogers Worthington. Now, that is a name. Rogers. It's, it's a great name. So let let Brian describe the photo that goes along with this story first. Imagine somebody that could be a Unabomber, like putting them in maximum security handcuffs in an orange jumpsuit, walking them away with the coolest late 80s, early 90s FBI agent you can think of, wearing shades with just a mustache and a tie flapping in the wind, leading this dangerous criminal away. But this criminal is just Stephen Carey Blumberg, the jailed bibliophile, an antique trader who last week was found hoarding thousands of priceless books, believed stolen from university libraries across the country. Holy shit. Now, what Brian found interesting is what friends had to say about Blumberg. 41, he was dressed like a homeless street person, seldom bathed, and often ate soup lines. I don't know what that... Oh, (laughs) Eight in there soup we go. lines. I thought he ate eight <laughs> soup lines. He was doing lines. Of soup. <laughs> uh, but they also said he was a shrewd trader who roamed the nation's antique flea markets, carried a leather pouch full of gold coins inside his wow. pants, and thousands of dollars more in cash. And is a member of a well-to-do St. Paul family. Did you know, Ooh, Mitch? Uh, <laughs> didn't know the Blumbergs personally, but I have heard the name. Yep. His parents describe him as a precocious eccentric (laughs) with a long history of mental problems and a lifelong obsession for collecting and packing away old things from deserted houses. Quote, he loved old things, end quote, said his father. (laughs) Wow. So there's just a bunch of great stuff throughout this story, uh, especially the quote from the FBI agent. Quote, we have reason to believe that the vast majority was stolen from libraries all over the United States and foreign countries, end quote. So the world, (laughs) 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 which just made me laugh. But following that is Bloomberg's lawyer, Don Nickerson, said the government has yet to show his client is a thief. Quote, they're presuming simply because he's in possession of books that he all of a sudden is a sensational book thief. End quote. <laughs> uh, Bloomberg's father, Henry, who described his son as, quote, an oddball in every way who had the look of the wrath of God, end quote, is incredulous that he could have committed massive rare book thefts. What's funny is that he said his son's obsession with collecting began with old records balls of string, coins, and the skins of gardener snakes. Ah, And then he moved up to ornate Victorian glass. What a jump from (laughs) snake skins to Victorian glass collecting. (laughs) Son, what would you like for your your 15th birthday? Ooh. The skins of snakes. (laughs) The skins of snakes in the yard. Please give me all the snake skins. And that lovely vase from the Victorian era. <laughs> I need a vase to display my skins, mother. Mm. <laughs> the vase for my skins. Please put it in the decrepit 17-room house, which he did live in, according to this article. Wow. It was a dilapidated 17-room house. Did- I was looking for a total. They wouldn't put like like how much his collection of rare books was worth that he stole. Sure. But his like downstairs neighbor said he's like, I remember him like uh, bragging about this one time he went to the West Coast for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar book. <laughs> and Holy it was shit. Like, shit, man. To, I hope to, you put that in his Victorian vase. Today, this guy would be unimpeded because 
any parents who saw somebody take an interest in stealing rare books is like, man, at least he's not on the iPad. Like he's actually trying to read. Like this is incredible. We got to nurture this. Yeah. The the end of this article that Worthington wrote is uh, it's quote, it's going to take months or over a year. Unquote, said the spokesman for the bureau's regional headquarters in Omaha. <laughs> so they shipped all the books from Des Moines <laughs> down to Omaha to be sorted. <laughs> wow. What a, is there any like lower on the totem pole job at the FBI than sorting through old books that were in this smelly guy's house? <laughs> God. <laughs> also, so, like, can, I, I just, I just want to point out the, the immense amount of, I'm assuming, white privilege this guy got to experience because – he was a dirty old thief, and but he's a white guy, so like he's just a precocious, weird, fun. Guy. He's got a lot of weird stuff going on, and just can just walk into any library and just steal whatever he wants and walk out with. I mean, I mean, the coins in his pouch alone should have like maybe given someone pause. I I, I missed it. It looks like it was about twenty million dollars worth of books. Holy shit! Wow. Twenty million dollars. Stored in this smelly guy's this guy who does this guy does lines of soup in his house <laughs> while reading books. <laughs> oh man, is it? Oh god, is this a progressive uh, Italian wedding? <laughs> ah, time to read me a book from 1309. I'm 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 getting tired. I need to rip a couple lines of gazpacho, and then I'll be right back to the to the tomes. <laughs> oh shit, alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god this is wonderful brian thank you very much for this um i urge uh, everyone brian welcomes you for thanking me for you <laughs> bonus point Bo- uh, bonus point for that one okay here we go uh nathan give us your number one please this number one is the the ultimate that nathan found yes <laughs> In the some things never change category. Yep. Uh, On Nathan's birthday this year, amongst the headlines was uh, Governor Cuomo of New York embroiled in scandal. And apparently in the headlines 35 years ago when Nathan was born was Governor Cuomo embroiled in scandal. (laughs) Which, So I'm just going to read the headline to you. New York Times. Governor Cuomo warned several months ago that Republicans were planning to spend $20 million this year in an effort to unseat him, but campaign reports reveal he has raised about 20 times as much money as his Republican opponent, Andrew P. O'Rourke, also a wow. great name. We've, we've really mined a lot of great names to use for fictional characters in oh, this yeah. episode. Yes. Yeah. Anyways, Mr. Cuomo reported he had a campaign fund of $7.9 million compared to 395000 for Mr. O'Rourke. Wow. So... We attacked the uh, Republicans, uh, Ron and Nancy, last uh, on my on Nathan's number two, and here at the number one, you can see the uh, Democratic uh, corruption in New York in the eighties, and of course, all the way up to today, because <laughs> we got Mario Cuomo and we got Andrew Cuomo just just causing causing trouble up there in Albany and uh, <laughs> thirty five years apart. It's truly ridiculous. Wow. And then you you got you got Chris Cuomo. Uh, on CNN delivering your news. How could you not trust that guy? Uh, <laughs> and also, when when I wa- or when Nathan watched the election coverage uh, for four straight days, as we all did last November, mm-hmm. I couldn't tell who was Chris Cuomo and who was Jake Tapper by the end of it. They had melded into one individual, <laughs> and you know you can just 
just move the head. The suit stays the same. It didn't matter. They're the same person as far as I'm concerned. But the larger point I want to make here, or Nathan would like to make, Mm -hmm. that we all would like to make, is (laughs) that one interlude. Yes. I think every time Nathan corrects himself, it just... (laughs) It just alerts Mitch to the fact that Nathan made a mistake. <laughs> He's docking oh. Nathan a point. <laughs> I've been listening very closely the whole time, so don't you worry about it. Yep. On the video feed, Nathan sees Mitch look down at his paper with his pen <laughs> and knows that points are being detracted. And it's very disheartening. <laughs> Brian has a question for Nathan. When you melded the two uh, pundits together, was it... Uh, to Cuomo or Crapper? What was the last name? <laughs> <laughs> well, no answer, but Crapper now that you put it into yep. my head. Hey-o. <laughs> point. I'm giving to myself. <laughs> but uh, this this uh, this little story uh, this illustrates what a what a oligarchy that uh, America can be. Yeah. And here's a stat: mm-hmm. is if. Hillary Clinton had won the election in 2016, and I voted for her. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I'm willing to go out on a limb and go on record and say that I did not vote for Donald Trump. Wow. It's written but, in ink, my friend. But let's say, hypothetically, she had won in 2016 and then served for eight years, and her term would have expired in 2025. Here's what we're looking at. 1981 to 1989, president is George H.W. Bush, or vice president is George H.W. Bush. Then he is president from 89 to 93, then from 93 to 2000, Clinton president, from 2000, or 2001 to 2009, George W. Bush president, 2009 to 2013, Clinton, Hillary, Secretary of State, then we get a nice little three-year vacation, and then it would have been 2017 to 2025, Hillary Clinton president. So the three most powerful positions in the nation, arguably, it could have been 44 yeah. years with only a little three-year break where it would have been either a Bush or a Clinton running the show. Quite a democracy we've got here, folks. It's, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> well, and e- e- even if you if you count uh, Bush senior's time as CIA director, which I'm sure contains a lot of shadow power, too, before that. True, true. Even longer, which is which is nuts. It's terrifying. yeah, it's it's kind of um, it's it's disheartening. And really, all I can say is, what is America? It's a beautiful <laughs> gift box adorned with a red ribbon full of Kalashnikov rifles heading to South America to de- destabilize an entire government. You know, and, and, and that's really all, all I can say. So um, there is one thing we haven't said about Andrew Cuomo is his quote from his apology video. I'm not perverted. I'm Italian. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. And it's just not good. Yeah. Not good at all. Yeah. So, both. And- very wonderful number ones. You guys are both getting three points for number ones. So um, I, I need to do some some bonus point uh, counting up here, some some quick that one of those. Um, so I need a topic that you can talk about amongst yourselves. Um, and your favorite 80s um, TV stars, talk about those for just a moment as I, as I count. I'll be right back. Tony Danza, it's got to be, right? Samantha? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> or I did like who's the boss reruns D- Danny DeVito playing Frank Reynolds but in a taxi dispatcher <laughs> role <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nathan what were the 80s like 
<laughs> okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> I have no memory. I have no memory of what they were like. My first uh, memory of knowing what year it was, was Regis Philbin on Regis and Kathy Lee saying today is January something or other 1990. And my mother explained to me what time was. And uh, it's, <laughs> it's all been downhill from there. Oh. What a lesson that you had to learn about time. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so here I've tallied the scores. Um, Nathan, you had a score of thirteen to Brian's twelve, but then I had to subtract all the times you referred your to yourself, um, not in the third person. Which Nathan, I counted eight times, uh, which Oof. brought you down to a score of five. But I gave you a bonus point because I loved your themes throughout um, your answers. That gave you one extra. That's six. But Brian, you referred to yourself. Uh, not in the third person, only five times I counted. So that gives you a score of seven. And today's victory in top five headlines from the week you were born. Congratulations, my big wet boy, uh, 1990 uh, rules the roost today. Now it's time, as always, for my fast five, you guys. Everyone ready? Yeah. Okay, cool. Here we go. This week's Fast Five is top five reasons why Nicolas Cage would make a great father to me. Number five, he'll give you a dope-ass first name of a superhero. Famously, Nick Cage was supposed to play Superman, Kal-El, in uh, Tim Burton's Superman. That never happened. So what did he do? He named his actual son Kal-El. So in this case, I wouldn't be able to get that name as well. So maybe I'd be, you know, uh, the Robin to his Batman. So he'd probably just call me Dick. All right, number four. (laughs) Um... Nick Cage is a high achiever. We know that. And he would expect a lot of me um, as a kid, as a student, you know, he would expect for me to try my hardest. So here I have a quick audio clip of me showing uh, my report card uh, to my father, Nicholas Cage. Brian, please uh, take it away. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! I'm losing my eyes! My father, Daddy-O, Nicolas Cage, expects A's, goddammit, on that report card. And the reason I'm getting A's is because he started with me early, all right? I knew the alphabet from way early on. And actually, we were able to get audio of my daddy, Nicky Cage, teaching me about the alphabet. Brian, please take it away. You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, L, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. That's all you have to do. <laughs> and it, it, it only took one time and I got my letters down. That's number four. Okay. <laughs> number three reason why Nicolas Cage would be great father to me is that he would teach me about the proper care um, of, of animals in the home, having pets, providing them water, a great natural habitat, and not just letting them, you know, loose about the house. And actually, here was my dad, Nick Cage, teaching me about some of my own exotic pets. What are these fucking iguanas <laughs> doing on my coffee table? Nick Zach, iguana. Uh, you know what my my daddy Nick Cage always says uh, you take care of your things and they'll take care of you that was the last time I left my iguana on the coffee table All right, number two (laughs) sometimes you really need a stern I shouldn't say stern a serious talking to from your papa and daddy Cage gave me this you know some good insight on life Um, 
it's a bit existential. But uh, this is a recent um, talk he gave me uh, when I was uh, feeling a bit adrift. So, Brian, please take it away. They're not real. You get that, right? What? None of it is real. Really? The critics aren't real. The customers aren't real. Because this isn't real, Eric. Why do you care about these people? They don't care about you. None of them. Oh, my God. They don't even know you. Because you haven't shown them. Every day you'll wake up and there'll be less of you. You live your life for them and they don't even see you. You don't even see yourself. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Derek, (laughs) who has my pig? <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Papa Cage calls me Derek sometimes when he's mad at me. And um, <laughs> one of my friends had gotten drunk and stolen his pig uh, out of the pen. So, <laughs> all right, number one. Now, when Mitch turns 16, you know, it's old driver's license time, right? And. Daddy Cage will work really hard. You know, he'll he'll teach his face off as I grow accustomed to the City of Angels. We live in L.A., by the way, in this uh, scenario. And even though he can sometimes, <laughs> you know, drive angry or perhaps he isn't the rock you'd hope to he'd be in. Sometimes he fails to show up from time to time, making him a, you know, a ghost rider for some driving lessons. He preaches, you know, adaptation, you know, staying present and attempting to see two minutes into the future, always trying to know what's about to come next. You know, and what it boils down to is my father, Nicholas Cage. He's just the family man, and I love him. Bangkok Dangerous! <laughs> and that's this week's episode of Uber Cinco. Please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. And once again, we love that hearty wom word of mouth. So please tell your friends about us and send them your favorite episode. Thank you to the man who gave us the Reagan impression this week, Brian Ernst. And. The tallest guy on our show. Nathan Hennenfent. And I've been Mitch Brinkman, and as Biz Bear always says, be good and be careful. If you can't do either, name it after Biz Bear. Alfita Zane and Adios. <laughs> <laughs> You've just listened to Uber Cinco, a production of UBK Studios. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your fine podcasts from. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash UBK Studios. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and the bill collectors at bay. Keep tabs on us on all the social media at UBK Studios, and most importantly, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see that we really are just a bunch of good Midwestern boys. Yeah.